0: Good morning. I'm Chad Bowen, and I'm the pastor of Moore Memorial United Methodist Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this week's sermon, and I'm sure you're as excited as I am about the prospect of warmer temperatures this week. This week's sermon focuses on prayer, and how the Psalms and other written prayers can help us to get into the habit of praying or expand our horizons as we pray. If you'd like to give to support our ministries, we'd be really grateful for that. Even getting these sermons to you each week has a cost, and every little bit helps us continue to do the work that God has called us to. You can give online at our website, morememorialumc.com, or you can mail a check to the church's P.O. Box. That's P.O. Box 467 here in Winona, Mississippi, 38967. We're trying to get a sense of the ways that we're best connecting with you each week, So if you'd send us a note or an email, you can email me directly at chad, C-H-A-D, at morememorialumc.com, or send us a note to P.O. Box 467. Uh, Or if you're listening on Facebook or YouTube, you can just leave a note in the comments to let us know the best way that you've found to connect to worship with us virtually. We'll have a better sense of where to invest to stay connected with you over the long haul. We pray that you have a great week. And we hope that you enjoy a little sunshine and warmer temperatures. Enjoy the sermon. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would welcome us into your presence, that by your presence we might be justified, forgiven, that we might be made like you, that we might be sanctified, O Lord. We pray that you would teach us, by the words of your Scripture, what it looks like for us to be in relationship with you. As we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior who came to enter into relationship with us. Amen. As we enter into the season of Lent, the Lenten season is 40 days of an invitation to discipline, an invitation into spiritual living. And prayer, perhaps, is the most basic of all of our spiritual disciplines. Christians, especially evangelical Protestants, like to say things like, you need to have a personal relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And relationship requires connection. Relationship requires conversation for us to interact with one another, for us to reveal ourselves to one another and hear from the other about what they think, what they are, to learn who they are by being in conversation with them. So it's in this sense that prayer is the most basic spiritual discipline. You don't need to be able to read or even own a Bible to pray. You don't need other people around. You just need to do it, which sounds so simple, but it's not because prayer is a deeply vulnerable thing. And sometimes it's easier not to do it than it is to do it because prayer to God is vulnerable. I have friends who work in mental health counselors and psychologists and these kinds of things, and it's hilarious to hear them talk about what it's like when people uh, who don't interact with them every day learn what they do. The people that learn that they're counselors or psychologists assume that once they know what the person does, that this person has some kind of special insight into their psyche that just because of one thing that they've said, they know everything about their past or everything about what makes them tick or what they're feeling or thinking or what wounds they have from their past. It's really vulnerable to be in a position where you feel like someone's been analyzing you and understanding you at a level that you didn't mean to offer to them that you didn't mean to disclose. And when we think about what it's like to pray to the Lord, it's a similar thing. You feel exposed and and vulnerable. And then there's the nature of God himself. He's holy and righteous and powerful beyond belief. He's characterized by grace and truth. As we think about these things, it's even harder to know what it would look like to relate to a being like that we don't want to say the wrong thing to god who knows everything so prayer is vulnerable because god knows us more than we want him to sometimes and because we are so limited in our capacity compared to god there's more to prayer too sometimes we just don't know what to say Sometimes we don't have the words at all to offer to God. Sometimes we have too many words. Uh, Maybe it's been so long since we caught up with God that we don't even know where to start. So it's easier not to pray because there's no way to cover it all. Or maybe we just don't know what to say, period. Maybe we set aside the time and we find a quiet place and we enter into a posture of prayer. Maybe we kneel or maybe we bow our heads or maybe we fold our hands together or maybe we open them up to the Lord and we begin to pray and before we know it we're thinking about everything we have to do that day or nothing at all. But Whatever it is it doesn't feel like prayer. There's just not enough to say or not enough focus to say it. And sometimes we feel like we do know what to say and we say it to God every day over and over and over again And at some point we feel like maybe our prayers should have a broader focus. When this happens, sometimes it's because we've, we've gotten so focused on a few needs of ourselves or people close to us that we've lost a sense of the broader things happening in the world in the course of our prayer life. Or maybe we've become so focused on asking God what we need that we've failed to listen to the Lord and let His character shape ours. So on the one hand, prayer is the most basic spiritual discipline, and on the other, sometimes it's the hardest for us to do. And we know it shouldn't be hard, but sometimes it is, and maybe that's what makes it hard in the first place. So today, this passage that we're about to read, Psalm 25, I I want us to read it as a way of helping us think about how we pray and how we learn to pray. Wants want us to read this psalm as a tool that teaches us how to pray. This is Psalm 25, and we're going to read the whole chapter this morning. Hear this word. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed, those who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord. And of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees for your name's sake O lord pardon my guilt for it is great who are they that fear the lord he will teach them the way that they should choose they will abide in prosperity and their children shall possess the land the friendship of the lord is for those who fear him and he makes his covenant known to them my eyes are ever toward the lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of my trouble. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my life and deliver me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all its troubles. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me now? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The psalmist starts by saying, I lift up my soul, I lift up my my life, my my very heart to you. Different translations translate this word nefesh differently, but it it means your your whole being. It means your soul, your, your heart, your very life, all of who you are. I lift that up to the Lord. And this verb, to lift it up, is is the, the same verb that gets used for offering in the Old Testament. I lift myself, my soul, up to you as an offering to you, O Lord. This is the beginning of prayer. Nothing less than this. To take our soul, our life, our heart, and to raise it up to God and say, God, this is what I have to give you. Examine it, receive it as the gift that you gave to me that I give back to you. Care for it, love it, and offer it your kindness. Here's my heart. See what it needs. See what I need. And we go further and we say the things that are on our mind, and, and you I trust, don't let me be put to shame. In fact, don't let anyone who waits on you be put to shame But anyone who's treacherous, who's deceitful, who's traitorous, let them be put to shame entirely. But not me, O Lord. When I was in seminary, my Old Testament professor asked us to journal a few of the psalms over the course of the whole semester. So we had just a few psalms that we were supposed to read regularly and to write about our responses to them. And I really hated the assignment Uh, for a couple of reasons. First, because that kind of assignment is not something I'm good at. I'm not good at picking something up every day and journaling about it. I've never been good at that. That's never come naturally for me. But also, the other thing was that almost every psalm he picked had a lot in it about enemies. And at that time in my life, I didn't feel like I had many enemies. It was hard for me to identify with the psalm at all because it was so focused on the destruction of enemies that I didn't feel like I knew what I was praying. But that was only about a decade ago, and now things feel a lot different with the way that our culture is working, with the way that people who disagree with us, maybe even on just one issue, begin to feel like our enemies. I doubt any of us really feel like we don't have any enemies at all. And ironically, as bad as that is for our culture, it puts us a slightly better place to understand scripture where we're not pretending like we don't have people who we would identify as our enemies. So the psalmist says, don't let my enemies put me to shame. Instead, put to shame those who are treacherous and deceitful. And then he goes on and he says, God, I need you to teach me everything I need to know. Teach me your knowledge. Guide me. Lead me. I am waiting on you. I don't have the resources within myself to know where to go or what to do or what even to think, O oh Lord. So teach me. Teach me your ways. This prayer is one of deep humility, not one that comes to God saying, I know exactly what I need. Give me all of these things and my life will be well. But that comes to God and says, you know better than I do. So teach me what I need to know. And take me to the places that I need to go. And then as we, as we do this work, as we offer our soul, our heart, our life to God, we, we begin to notice some of the flaws in what it is that we have to give to God. We start to notice our sin. This weekend, Katie and I had a friend who was uh, driving through, trying to get back to town. She was trapped down in Hattiesburg for the whole week after she intended to go just for the weekend because of the ice storm. And she made it to Winona, far enough to Winona, to stay the night with us this week. And as she came into the house, I looked on one of our bookshelves and I saw dust that was there that I hadn't noticed. Because as she was coming in, I was seeing things differently. When we lift up our souls to God, we, we start to see the dust. We start to see the imperfections. We start to see all of the things that we don't like about our lives and our actions and the things that we love. And that leads us into confession. And we see this in, in the psalmist today. As he offers even his imperfections to God to deal with in God's mercy and kindness. He says, here's my soul, and as you see it, please remember your mercy. Please remember your steadfast love that you have shown to people through the ages that is from of old. Don't remember the sins of my youth, and don't remember the transgressions that I may have committed even very recently. Don't, Don't stare at the ways that I have missed the mark. Remember me according to your love. And that leads the psalm into praise. The Lord is upright. He teaches sinners the way to go. He leads the humble in what is right and shows them His way. In other words, the Lord does the things I've been asking Him to do, to guide me and to forgive me and to instruct me. Within this one prayer, we have the request and the truth of God's answer to that request right here. And then we kind of enter into a cycle where praising God and and all of God's glory leads us back into an awareness of sin, pardon my guilt. It's very great. This truth is at the center of the psalm and it's at the center of the Christian life that we need the forgiveness of God to forgive the things that we have done that are wrong. We need God to pardon our guilt. Because it's very great. We need to remember that God shows people who fear the Lord the right path. We're not stuck in our sin. God shows us a new way. And then we go a little bit further and we say, I really need God. The kind of God that I've encountered even in this this prayer. I'm lonely and I'm afflicted and I'm troubled and I'm distressed. And I need the Lord. So deliver me, O Lord, from all of these things that trouble me, all of these things that afflict me, that cause problems in my life. Deliver me from all of them and, oh yeah, forgive my sins. And then the prayer turns back to enemies. Consider my enemies. Consider how they hate me with what violent hatred they hate me. And please protect me and don't let me be put to shame. Instead, preserve me by giving me integrity and righteousness as I wait for you, as I wait for the Lord. And then at the very end, we get this final petition that almost seems random. Redeem Israel from all its troubles too. Oh yeah, and, and God, don't forget this other thing that I meant to pray for in the course of my prayer. But now that I'm bringing it to a close, just, just don't forget that either. I'm in. This is what prayer looks like. Lifting our souls, our hearts, our very lives to God. And entrusting Him with what we have as an offering to Him. Entrusting ourselves with all of our blemishes and all of our beauty into the loving hands of God, into his love and mercy and kindness, into his never-failing loving kindness. As we do that, we begin to see ourselves, our own souls with God's eyes. We confess our sins and plead for mercy. We ask God to show us the right way, to teach us and instruct us and guide us because we know that we can't get there on our own. We offer to God our troubles as a way of saying, we need you to come in and intercede for us because we can't handle the things that we face on our own. We are dependent on you. Now I want to offer a a quick sidebar about that final petition before we go any further to talk about what I think we should do with this psalm. Because if if you read the Psalms, if you hear the challenge I'm going to give you in just a second and read the Psalms regularly, you really need to hear this too. That when you read Israel in the Psalms or in the New Testament, I want you to think something like the children of Abraham in the sense that Paul uses it in Romans, that that all of, of Abraham's children are not necessarily by blood, but they are also by being grafted into Jesus Christ. Or hear it as citizens of the kingdom of God. Or in a really broad sense, you could hear it as the church with some provisions or questions about the place of faithful adherence to the Jewish Torah as well. But when you read Israel in the Psalms, there are two things that you should not read primarily. One is the modern nation state of Israel, and the other is our country, the United States. These are not the things intended by the psalm when we read it. And when we make this basic mistake, as, as many have, it's led to all kinds of terrible, terrible policy decisions for our country and for the world. And all of this starts in how we pray. So when you hear redeem Israel, I want you to hear that as a prayer for God's people, as a prayer for the church and other people, maybe even outside the church, who would, who would count in God's family as God sees it. So this is what it looks like for us to pray. We lift our souls up to God. We ask God for the things that we need. We reckon with the fact that we need God, and that leads us into humility. We see our sin, we see our needs, and we ask God to guide us through our lives as we should go. The Psalms teach us how to pray. They express for us the full array of human emotion. Uh, Sometimes we'll identify with them as we read them. Sometimes we won't identify with them at all. And that's okay. A helpful thing for you if you're reading the Psalms and, and you can't identify, you can't pray with a full heart what it is that you're reading, try reading it from the perspective of Jesus. Particularly from Jesus on the cross. And that will help you see a little bit more clearly what it looks like to ask for the vindication of the Lord. So, this psalm teaches us how to pray. And I know that for a few reasons. The first is that it's an acrostic psalm. And what that means is that it, it st- each line starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if it were in English, the first line would start with A. The next verse would start with B. The next C and so on. In Hebrew, it goes Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, He, Vav and on and on. This psalm is written that way so that it can be remembered. If you start praying it and you get stuck, you just think, oh, well, what was the one that started with D? Or what was the one that started with M? How do we move forward from there? So the psalm is made to be remembered. It's, it's made to be an instructional tool, a teaching tool. So this psalm is a helpful psalm to teach us how to pray. And as Protestants in the South, you might be uncomfortable with written prayers, But ancient Israel and the early church were not uncomfortable with written prayers. The Psalms were their prayer book. This is what they would take to pray together, to sing together. It's not even clear if if the Psalms were written or spoken or, or sung together, but all of them were intended for congregational use, or most of them were. And... We use written prayers all the time, whether or not you think of them. We, we just call them hymns. We set them to music, and we pray them together as we offer praise to God and speak the truth of Scripture and beseech the Lord on behalf of the community as a community. When we sing together, someone else's words are structuring how we relate to God. We do this in human relationships too, even the most authentic and intimate human relationships. We might quote Shakespeare or sing a beautiful love song to the the object of our affection, the person whom we love, to express real authentic love. Because sometimes other people say what we feel even better than we can. It doesn't make it insincere for a couple to have a song that they share that expresses their love for one another. We do this also with gift cards. There's love and searching through and finding the card that expresses just what you feel, maybe even better than you could have said it yourself. This is important for us because sometimes we think that we have to generate prayers from within ourselves. And if you have trouble praying, if you have trouble finding the words or limiting your words or focusing your prayer, or maybe even if you don't have trouble with any of that, Written prayers can be a fantastic way to shape our spiritual life, to form our relationship with God. In this Lenten season, I want to issue a challenge to you to re-engage your prayer life, maybe even through written prayer. You can start with the Psalms and read them. There are 150 of them. You could read a few a day and and complete them before the end of Lent. You could start with the collects from the Book of Common Prayer. I'm happy to get those to you if that would be helpful. Or you can ask me for other resources if you'd like to use other written prayers. I'd love to talk to you about what resource might be best for you. Or you could stick with one for all of Lent and see what that means for you. Maybe Psalm 25 is the one you want, or Psalm 51, or some other psalm that you might pray every day to the Lord. You might pray the same one every day. You might pick a new one or a few each day. Or you might not use written prayers at all and simply lift up your soul to God and pray and beseech them, beseech Him. Whatever it takes, just pray. Take time each day during this season of preparation and discipline to pray to the Lord. Lift up your soul to God. Offer your soul as a sacrifice to Him and entrust it into His love and care that you can worship Him, that He can guide you in the ways that you're supposed to go. Plead with Him for His mercy to forgive you of your guilt And express your faith and your willingness to wait for him to deliver you from every trial. Pray. Just pray. With written prayers or your own prayers, pray to the Lord. Lent is a wonderful time to engage for the first time or to re-engage the discipline of prayer in your life. Will you pray with me? Well, Lord, we know that we need to be in relationship with you. And yet sometimes we neglect this most basic discipline, this most basic way of relating to you by praying. Sometimes it's because we don't have the words. Sometimes it's because we have too many words and don't even know where to start. Sometimes it's because we feel like all we do is say the same things to you over and over and over again. And nothing changes. But Lord, we pray that our prayer would change things, that it would change us, that it would change the way that we interact with you, that it might even sometimes change your mind as you hear what's on our heart, as you see our souls offered to you. We ask these things, we pray these things, entrusting ourselves to you and your care because you are worthy of that trust, because you will show us the way, because you will deliver us from our enemies, because you will forgive us of our trespasses, because you, O Lord, are and deserve to be our God. Amen.